Hello and welcome to Talking Additive, episode 37. They get it and it's not that difficult. Physicians and college students only have so much time and they want results, you know. They want to print in 15 minutes, but you know, you got to explain to them it's a process. More on this and other topics on Talking Additive. On Talking Additive, we sit down with business leaders, innovators, and allies to discuss the impact of adopting 3D printing in their businesses. How does adopting additive manufacturing positively benefit a business today? How is the role of 3D printing evolving within design, manufacturing, education, and our lives? And what will be possible in the future? Welcome to the 37th episode of the Talking Additive podcast. Talking Additive launches new episodes on Tuesdays. Our guest today is Robert Joyce, founder of FiberTuff. We met together at TCT Rapid 2022 in Detroit, Michigan this past May for an update on the latest story of FiberTuff. First of all, Bob, thank you so much for joining us today on Talking Additive. Thanks, Matt. Nice to be here. Appreciate it. Gosh, I've known you for, I don't know, four or five years, I think it's been. It's been quite a journey and uh, very exciting. Fiber Tough, I've been president and founder for five years in the additive area, though we have done a lot of extrusion and molding over the last uh, 15 years with natural fibers. So that's our expertise. So yeah, Bob, it's been really fun to get to know you and see the kind of work you're doing. We've gone to a bunch of shows everywhere from, you know, showing what might be possible to sort of general audiences for additive uh, to really specific medical shows where they were really hunting for this, either for like cadaver replacement or, uh, you know, for research to, to find new things. So it's, it's great to have you on Talking Additive. So why don't you set the stage for the listeners? Tell us about your background. How did you end up with this very specific mission? It evolved uh, probably 20, 25 years ago right here in Detroit, doing work with natural fibers and uh, synthetic polymers for uh, the automotive and taking care of some of the problems that they had and uh, bring something new and did that quite well. So the challenges with some natural fibers back then were, were odor specific, the type of cellulose or cellulosic component, interacting with those polyolefins, for instance, a lot of toxicity going on with malaics and so forth. So I kind of, after some experiences, moved my uh, science along to utilize more of a cleaner type fiber, less odors, smells, and I saw 3D printing as an avenue of moving forward. And I got that inclination just by happen chance when I stepped into a university and they did a basic cell study and said, what are you doing in automotive? So... Uh, I kind of pivoted five, six years ago, here I'm at today, you know. So it's a mechanically sound material, it's biocompatible, and I'm aligning the fibers to make it strong to replace some of the lower biocompatible materials like PEAK, HAP, for instance. I'm glad that you brought up that you started in Detroit, and we're here in Detroit. We're here at TCT Rapid 2022. We're a little bit later today, you'll be part of a, a talk. Do you want to share what the talk is that you're going yeah. to be participating in? So um, I've been working with some universities in the local Midwest area, as well as abroad. But Dr. Ross Saller, I've been working with him at Marshall for about two and a half years with, with FiberTuff. 
and uh, we've collaborated and done some really good work in, in regards to porous bone scaffolds. And uh, Dr. Salary has basically uh, collected data to show what porous design works best with FiberTuff. So in that process, he's really uncovered some really awesome details and data to help uh, further the progress of FiberTuff. Over the last couple of years, you've reached out and shared case studies as sort of new possibilities for the material uh, came out, new ways to process it, uh, you know, new medical experts or researchers who were doing work with it. So you've kept it a lively story. I'm very curious what it's been like for you going from an automotive focus to a medical focus. And what are some of the things that you discovered along the way as you, you know, learned some of these opportunities you could leverage in the material itself? Some of the uh, characteristics of the material, I didn't really know until it was tested and examined. So we have some characteristics, not only mechanical as well as biological, but also as radiopacity. So radiopacity is a big thing for um, the radiologists out there. They see materials as being either radiopaque or radiolucent. So they can't really see the bone bridging go into the radiopaque materials. And the radiolucent, they can't really identify where that implant is. So they can't see that bone healing and bridging. With fiber tough, it has a sense of radiopacity. So it goes anywhere from a negative HU, household units, to 200 and sometimes 400, depending on the density of the fibers and how I densify the material. So it's got that range and it actually isn't as bright as bone. So you could actually see the progress of the bone going through an implant. I would say a disclaimer here that we've done some tests, but it's not implantable. We don't have the 510K yet. We don't have FDA master file, but we're working towards that. So that's our goal probably within the next six months. I mean, everybody in this field of additive is aware that it's a process to get approved for use in a lot of different uh, contexts, even if sometimes it takes us a little bit to understand what those doors to pass through are if we're not uh, experts in medical. But do you want to explain a little bit about why it's exciting that these, you know, the radiopacity property is there and what audience that is a driver for? Like you, you, you made a really good case there that you can both see it and you can see it as differentiated from bone. What are some uh, uses that will be really exciting uh, to, to achieve as this becomes approved to be used in that kind of context? That's a good question. Um, there's one example that I can refer to in by attending RSNA last year. And there was a lot of AI going on, artificial intelligence. And uh, they, they really were focused on machines versus the patient and healing and how to establish, you know, how it was healing, how that implant was healing. So my direction or vision, I guess you could say, moving forward is because FiberTuff has that radiopacity. You can see the, the bone bridging in the cranial area. I see where a flap, for instance, if you would create a flap out of FiberTuff, printed FiberTuff, and then you would actually see that flap and where the skull is, there's got to be a gap of, you know, a millimeter or whatever that might be. So if you see the bone bridging there, you know that the implant and, and your, your science is working well. 
However, if there's no bone bridging, if there's, there's nothing going on to make the skull with the implant join as one, then, you know, you got some more work to do. So there's a, a way to catch those images, capture that data, and move it forward. And for the skull flap that you're describing now, how common is a procedure like that, that you would need a skull flap? Oh, well, there's different... Um, I'm not a medical professional, right. but there's different um, reasons why those flaps are needed, relief pressure and so forth. And right now they're using PEC and PEAK um, that are more uh, hydrophobic. I don't have the uh, high biocompatibility that fiber tough would have. Uh, fiber tough is also absorbent, so you have that integration, bioactivity. I think that the application itself, um, you're, I don't know the entire market, but uh, I think you're probably talking about 200 million a year, somewhere around there. Oh well, you know, as a as a possible opportunity. Yeah. So yeah. And this approach, if this works as intended, it would be natural bridging and, and growth, and so it would become essentially part of the skull. Faster healing too. Yeah. Bioactivity. That's the goal: is to create yeah. quicker healing for the patient. Would it be? Safe to say that you're focusing on regenerative medicine or not, uh, or that's just one aspect of what you're looking at? Just one aspect. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, there's uh, different ways or different areas that will enter the market, bone grafts, uh, cranial, um, you know, there's load-bearing applications that involve a little bit more study um, that are further down the road with fiber tough. But right now, yeah, there's certain areas where we feel more comfortable than others to work towards. Perfect. So going back to this journey where you've you discovered more properties for a material that you were developing uh, and, and found this new direction to take things and now are, are making great strides in, in the medical space, are you continuing to develop and tune these formulations towards you know, new properties than, than some of the ones you first targeted? So, yes, there's been reiterations of filament and types of filament and growing towards a better filament. Uh, using different types of nylons. Ours is a nylon base uh, material. So we've been able to uh, commingle fibers and, and high heat polymers that are being processed at 265C. So um, fibers don't do well at 265C, but we found a way to do that through our technology. So we're continually making it stronger and uh, more biocompatible and getting more data and tests done. Now, I first met you when you were approaching Ultimaker to show that your material can be run on our platforms and be useful to a you know, large number of, of people looking for materials with, with fibers in it, particularly medical. I'd love to hear more about your thoughts about how additive manufacturing is making use of your materials and some of the other technologies you're using beyond FFF as well. Well, the Ultimaker was a great experience, great opportunity to get the material out there as a soft launch. I had people all over the world test it, give me feedback, tell me how it runs, you know, and, and that was really crucial for me in moving the science forward and continually getting data back. So um, the challenges were the other people would sell the fiber tough into printers that were $600 printers that just wouldn't work. So Ultimaker gave a platform out there that the material worked, they could get good results, and continually and competitive results. So I guess where I see the filament 
opportunities moving forward is keeping the fibers more in alignment instead of trying to compromise it. So that's where I see actually moving the science forward with FFF. And I believe in that science more so than I do with powders because we do make powders. I've had the experience of making bones with powders, but there's a lot of other things that are involved that might compromise biocompatibility. So I think EFFF is probably the best way to tackle things from a bone perspective. Yeah. There's been some really interesting strides forward in extrusion-based technology in the last couple of years, including printing in true 3D. Now, you know, you see a 3D printed part, and you're like, that's a 3D printed part. It is, but uh, it still tends to be made layer by layer. And uh, coming from, uh, in particular, research around built environment scale 3D printing in concretes, etc., you're starting to see some efforts to uh, work with materials where you, you can... You know, you can move in all three axes and, uh, exi- you know, and create properties from, you know, a single path that might, you know, represent shapes other than, you know, building up flat. When we were talking before we started the interview, you were sharing some of the things you're excited about and, and mentioned that there's even a way to take this and think of this as a four-axis problem and uh, keep rotating, keep those uh, fibers aligned. And, uh, and get properties that, once again, would be pretty much impossible to produce any other way, uh, but would, would move beyond what you can do just building up a model layer by layer. Do you want to share how that works and why that's exciting? It might be also an opportunity to be a little bit more detailed about why um, working with fibers in your material is such an exciting opportunity. So... Um... I've been involved with fibers for quite a while, worked with glass and carbon fibers with thermoplastics, uh, even wood for a number of years. And what's so unique about cellulose is the melting points and how they synergistically work with the materials that we're using at FiberTuff. And those materials, those synthetic polymers, are good for biocompatibility and regenerating cells and so forth. So there's, there's a method to the madness here. The material is non-resorbable. It's not bioresorbable. It's not uh, PLAs or PLLAs or PHBs, things of that nature. So it really works well within the matrix. And keeping those fibers aligned, if I can keep it at a certain temperature, I can actually bind them together and make a long aspect ratio. And that's what you want. The short aspect ratios in glass and so forth, you know, you're just pushing boulders and you're relying on the couplings and the thermoplastics to increase that strength. Um, if you can keep that tool path aligned in a fourth axis, you'll be able to create some fantastic things. Now, throughout the history of FiberTuff, you've pointed out that it's a, it's a bone-like material, and you've heard back from customers that they're seeing it that way. I was wondering if you might share some, some thoughts about ways in which it is bone-like and ways in which it is uh, unique from how bone material is laid down. So there's a lot of customers out there that um, medical students that I've worked with that want to work with something that's bone-like. They want to understand how collagen fibers work in the bone, okay? And I tell them that the cellulose fibers can mimic collagen, okay? And that's a great thing. Um, And we worked on alignment, for instance, in in compression strengths and ductility uh, with Drexel University, and they've proven it out and validated that we indeed could have bone-like properties, okay? So we're taking those bone-like experiences, data, and we're growing it, you know, to a fourth axis. 
So that's how we're moving things forward to create bone-like properties. Uh, there are other products out there that people are trying to mimic or copy, but a lot of it's PLA generated. And so there's a problem between the synergistic of the ingredients and the fibers. So there's a lot of challenges moving forward with that. But we have an overall plan to attack point of care in four silos, I call it. Uh, we can print anatomical models. We can do phantoms. We'll be able to do surgical guides and eventually bone grafts or implants that replace things that are not as customized out there, more expensive. Um, so, yeah. That's the way we're moving. Uh, that's very exciting. You know, I recall from using the material myself and being helpful when we were presenting at a, a medical event in the past, that the experience of printing a skull, you know, from a, from a model, but in a material that is much more matching to bone material, even, you know, it, it has uh, distinct differences. It was really exciting to see that in, in part because it, it reminded me... Uh, how much more you can get out of this technology if you can do more than just deliver geometry and, and sort of fix it in place with a, a more familiar polymer. You can do this work with a material that's really designed to function that space and have a you know process over time, whether it's just how you interact with it with other tools or even imaging systems like you're talking about, or have other processes subjected to it such as the possibility of you know, bone bridging and, and sort of starting to uh, you know, move into this material. I'd love to hear your thoughts about what it's like introducing these kind of concepts to uh, additive manufacturing customers and other hardware vendors who maybe haven't yet understood what's possible there. I think the challenge as it stands right now, I think it's, it's a pivotal point for uh, printing manufacturers as well as material individuals like ourselves um, trying to find that right fit and that's where we're at. We think that uh, the small resolution is the best for medical. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean speed. To print bone in 15 minutes is not really a good thought process, I believe. I think you should take your time at it and do it correctly and uh, I think some of the manufacturers want to hit into that direction and investigate. And I think others are still in the industrial. Let's lay it down as fast as possible and make the automotive or aerospace parts, you know, and put as much glass into it, carbon fiber, and move it along. I think they're just two different areas of expertise. And I think that's the way the market is traveling right now. So you're giving a, a presentation with an expert here at this conference. And you'd mentioned a couple other collaborators. I was wondering if you might share some of the other kinds of work that you've been doing with, uh, with customers and researchers um, out there in the world. So our next step in FiberTuff and what we're trying to do and gather more data is work with the SBIRs, work with universities, uh, and in vivo studies to get to that next point of graphs where we can actually provide something out there that's very unique to the industry and attack the point of care solution. So um, the universities are willing to collaborate and work together. They're excited to work with FiberTuff. We're also seeking out printer manufacturers that have very high resolution printers that can print our stuff uh, for the applications to provide to the hospitals at lower costs and get immediate results versus waiting three to four years to get paybacks. 
we're looking at a solution that they can implement and one material, one printer, and uh, move forward with it with confidence. Yeah. Well, speaking of uh, the vendors to help you deliver this material in the right kind of way, uh, what are things that the Ultimaker ecosystem can do to better serve fiber materials like yours? I think it's just to continue collaboration and work together, sharing ideas, um, working with, you know, Bart over in the Netherlands and saying, hey, take a look at this. This is what we need to do. This is where you guys are at, you know, and this is where things need to go. And, and um, yeah, just giving ideas and collaborating, I think, to move it along. Yeah. Uh, so one of the things that is very special about the Material Alliance at Ultimaker is that uh, we've made tools to help polymer developers of all sorts to create targeted profiles for customers to have a good first experience and not spend like weeks and weeks trying to characterize and, and really sort like processing parameters that can just dive in. So I was wondering what your experience has been, uh, you know, t tuning parameters uh, for the profiles for FiberTuff that are currently online available in the marketplace. Yeah, that's been exceptionally helpful. The customers can dial right into the, the material, set the parameters, and then I can talk to them about orientation of the fibers, uh, printing at a 45 instead of a 90 kind of thing, and they get it. They get it, and it's not that difficult. They don't only have so much time, just physicians and college students only have so much time and they want results, you know. They want to print in 15 minutes, but you know, you got to explain to them it's a process. Well, it's uh, been fantastic to sit and talk with you and, and uh, learn about where you are and where you're going next uh, with this material. It's been uh, exciting seeing these properties that you're bringing with, uh, with FiberTuff. So thank you very much for taking some time out of your schedule today uh, to, to speak and talking at it. Thanks, Matt. Appreciate it very much. Thank you. Thank you again to Robert Joyce, founder of FiberTuff, for joining us today. We hope that you have enjoyed our 37th episode for the Talking Additive podcast. If you have questions about any topics covered during this episode of Talking Additive, we invite you to post on Twitter or LinkedIn to hashtag Talking Additive, all one word. Talking Additive launches new episodes each Tuesday. Next week, join us to meet Ole von Seelen, Head of Business Development, Marketing, and Sales from Trinkle. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and join the conversation by signing up for news and announcements at talkingadditive.com. Thank you again to Bob and the FiberTuff team. Our episode editor is Paul Pontius of PGP Sound. Our series producer is Hannah Gabrielle Tacchini, studio manager David Roberson, music and sound mix by Brian Scarry and Giulio Carmasi of Hummingbirds Custom Music and Sound. I'm host and producer Matt Griffin, and thank you for listening. On Talking Additive, we hold conversations with colleagues and customers about 3D printing's impact on business.